It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornsheen. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here at Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today. I'm so grateful that Dr. Steve Ford was able to fill in last week. I was a bit under the weather, so it is good to be back with you again. He was able to take us a little bit further into the subject of the spiritual realm, as over the past few weeks we have really been discussing this mentality of Christian spiritual warfare. And that means that we had to really examine this topic a bit thoroughly, going all the way back to the beginning, yes, even in Genesis as we explored uh, through details that are covered in Ezekiel and Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament on our enemy and who Satan is and and his uh, MO, if you will, how he comes against God's people and ultimately in his efforts to try to thwart God at every turn, how do we recognize what he is up to and combat against it? Because after all, we are told to put on the full armor of God, not just on occasion, but every day and to pray without ceasing. These are the Uh, directions from Almighty God to us, His people, and how we engage in spiritual warfare. And there's a lot to cover here, so let's get back into this. Let's begin our study once again in the verse that really encapsulates this discussion. It is really the uh, starting line in in which we need to build off of it. It's from 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, Paul calls Timothy to wage the good warfare here. Those are the words I really want us to spend some attention on here, because to wage is a Greek verb, stratuo, and it's really where we get the word strategy from. It means to fight as a soldier with tactics and direction and precision, not sort of just reactionary, always on our heels. We need to be advancing forward in the cause of Christ. And he says to wage this good warfare, that's kalos, it means excellent or noble And it's of this word that's added to it, warfare, where we get this, uh, it comes back from the root of stratia, which is a campaign. So we're waging a tactical, noble campaign. It's not a short-term skirmish. It's not a singular battle that you may face just on a rare occasion in your lifetime. I know we would like to avoid that altogether, but the reality is, is we cannot be an ostrich and put our head in the sand and pretend that this battle is not coming to our doorstep because it most certainly is. We know that the truth will cause division, especially in our homes, and we will find that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting both bone and marrow. It goes right to the root of the problems in our homes and in our personal lives. This battle is right to our doorstep, whether we like it or not. Now, as we are called to this continual campaign, we then have to understand a little bit about our enemy here. Because in Revelation chapter 12, we find that Satan is not alone in his battle against God and God's people. That's important for us to understand here. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, we read, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, this powerful imagery This dragon that has seven heads is probably this reference to some sequential imperial governments of the world, and we can see that further illustrated in Revelation 17, 9 to 11, 
We're not going to get into a lot of detail on that because we spent well a great deal of time when we were going through the book of Revelation, but it is the summation of all these forms of anti-God world governments, a confederacy of human nations against God, which we know in Daniel chapter 7 is the 10-nation confederacy of this empire that was built possibly on the uh, what was the Roman Empire. It could be the Neo-Ottoman Empire. So this dragon then embodies all the evil systems of man in, it, in its world governments, and it's led by none other than Satan himself. Okay, so Satan is leading and manipulating world governments. We see that in Thessalonians quite clearly that through deception, he is amassing to himself great power. But even with that, so Satan, with these world governments, he is not alone even with those. He even has further support. We read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. There's that word stars again. Now we see aster used quite often. Usually there's a pronoun attached to it when it refers to the angels. And in this case, it clearly is a reference to the angels. So we learn that when Satan fell, he draws a third of the angelic hosts of heaven with him. Two-thirds then remained with God. One-third of all the angels who are seeing God in his glory are deceived by this dragon, and they see God in his glory, and they buy into the lie, the deception of the enemy instead, and go and be with Satan and unto his destruction as well. Now, we have to understand that is indicative of the nature of our enemy. He is very good at his craft in deception. He may think himself to be incredibly powerful, but he is not God. And Dr. Ford covered that a great deal last week. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing in all things. He is a creature that was created by God, a fallen cherub, who now masquerades as an angel of light. Now, these angelic beings then are described, these uh, we call demons, are described 273 different times in 34 books of the Bible. And of the angels that God had made, there was an innumerable number of them. And so that's what's difficult about how do we track this, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, of how many demons actually fell with Satan. But so let's look at what it says here in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing! Exclamation point. The revelation of Jesus Christ says that there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of these angelic hosts in heaven. So how do you then slice that to say that a third went with Satan and two-thirds remained with the Lord? How many is that? Well, that's the difficult number for us to properly assess because in the Greek language, there wasn't a number that was bigger than 10,000. That that's why the, number, the word there, myriad, is used. Myriads of angels, millions of them. So we're, they're not alone. Uh, there's a large number of them. So we're battling against millions of demons since a third of them betrayed God. But the good news is that there are two angels fighting with us for everyone that stands in the way. 
So we're not outnumbered at all here. They're the ones that are outnumbered. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if these kind of things help you, but it certainly does for me. One angel, just by uh, you know going back into the history books here of 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, and Isaiah 35, 36, we see it's recorded that one angel of the Lord responds to a prayer from King Hezekiah is dispatched by God, and he slays 185,000 men. One angel did that. So you are not alone. That's really the point here, is that when the enemy is trying to amass to himself governments that are in opposition to God, leading up to the final battle against Jesus Christ our Lord, and with him are a third of the angelic hosts of heaven, he is still outnumbered. And, and Dr. Ford again last week mentioned this particular verse, and I love it. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 17 to 18, we read, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike these people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Yeah, you see, if uh, the Lord is for you, who can be against you? And now there's another aspect to all of this. As we talk about the third of the demons that fell with Satan, that bought into his lies, his deception, how many of those are still loosed on the earth? Are all third of those numbers, the millions that they might represent, are they just running to and fro across the earth without restriction? Well, no. In fact, some of them are still bound in chains before the judgment. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, 2 Peter 2, 4, and Jude 1, 6. Possibly because they possessed men who then mated with human women and birthed the giants that we read about in Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6 and Numbers 13, Joshua 11, amongst many others. So these demons, as we're then told scripturally, can be sent into the, the abyss before the judgment time. According to Matthew chapter 8, 28 to 34, we see Jesus engaging with legion, and here legion is begging not to go into the abyss. It is not a place of partying. It is quite the contrary. It's a place where they're trying to avoid at all costs. And there's a large number of demons in the bottomless pit, in fact. Four of them are even bound at the Euphrates River, according to Revelation chapter 9. As part of the fifth and sixth judgments, they're released temporarily upon the earth. Can you imagine such a thing? I mean, they've been bound up, gnashing of teeth, wanting to unleash this hatred upon mankind once again. And in those judgments in the latter days, in the final seven-year period of time, and here we see in the fifth and sixth trumpet judgments, there will be a large number of them released. The remainder, of course, are then free to roam the earth for a season until God has determined their days are finished. And, and so they're Satan's minions, and they will share in his doom, according to Matthew 25, 41, and Revelation 20, verse 10. So uh, since we're learning more about our enemies, we now have to ask the question, who is their target? If there's a third of the angels have fallen, and now are the minions to Satan, who is the fallen cherub, who's deceiving them and deceiving the governments of the world, who's their target? We can naturally just assume it's us uh, and us being the Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ. But let's read what Scripture tells us. And it really goes back to one who is the target and those who follow the one. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, we read, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth 
to devour her child, capital C, as soon as it was born. Now, the woman described there is none other than Israel. We've got a great imagery in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, of the sun and moon that are possibly references to Jacob and Rachel, and uh, of course, the 12 stars and being references to the 12 sons, i.e. the 12 tribes of Israel. And the great child that was brought forth through the nation of Israel is none other than the, the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Revelation 12, verse 5, she bore a male child, capital C, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So we see here that we have Satan at the end of verse 4 seeking to devour the child as soon as he was born. And as we just studied not long ago uh, through the whole Christmas season, we spent a great deal of attention on that, that Satan did everything he could to try to destroy Jesus at the moment of his birth. Even prior to that, Satan tried to destroy the whole line before Jesus. And so Satan tried to kill Jesus by killing all the babies in Bethlehem through Herod in Matthew chapter 2, 13 to 16. And then he tried to kill Jesus Christ by having him shoved off a cliff at Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, verse 29. And then he tried to get Christ to fall to temptation and forfeit his kingdom and to do unrighteousness. He wasn't finished there, so he tried to have Jesus killed through an angry mob who were going to stone him to death in John chapter 8, 57 to 59. And then ultimately, as we know, he tried to kill Jesus on the cross and he tried to keep him in the grave. So the dragon fights against the Messiah at every opportunity, and that's the way this warfare goes. Satan is focused on trying to destroy Christ and all of his work, and now he continues to fight against the work of Christ in his church. And he will even fight against Christ when he comes at his return. And we read in Revelation 12, 7 to 9, that a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There will be a war in the future. There was a war in the past, and there is a war that is waging right right now. So in this particular scene, we see Michael and his angels are fighting the dragon and his angels. And we know in the scripture that this battle is not just relegated to the future. We find Michael in contention with the devil even now, especially as they were fighting over the body of Moses that was recorded in Jude 1.9. So Michael and the devil were even at it back then, at the time of Moses, and they'll be at it at the time of the tribulation. And as we see at the very end, it's possibly even Michael who gets the privilege of throwing a chain around the devil's neck and tossing him into the abyss. Uh, But we don't always see all of this going on around us. There are some people who just go blissfully through church life and experience life as if there were no war going on around them. And sometimes I wish that our eyes could be opened to see what's really going on around us, possibly even right now in the room next to you, maybe as you're driving down the road right now, what's going on around you, because we lack spiritual depth perception. We just don't seem to understand that we are caught up in a very real war, and this battle impacts the whole world as Satan comes against all men, especially the bloodlines of Israel and those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. But God will preserve his people. Listen closely, Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 to 12, 
Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now we look to verse 17, listen closely. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, Satan, in his pride, he turned his heart from God. The war began, and then he deceived a third of the angels, and they turned their hearts against God. Now, the battle fills the earth as Satan moves to and fro, seeking someone to devour. That's the nature of our enemy of 1 Peter 5.8. And I find it interesting that God himself allows the battle against him to be fought at our level. So the battle isn't in a faraway land. It's here. It's all around you. And when you chose to follow Christ... You enlisted in the Lord's army, and it's time to suit up in the full armor of God. Stop taking it lightly. He tells us in verses 10 to 13 of Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You see, it's time to take a stand for truth and righteousness for Jesus Christ our Lord. You need to stop being ashamed of Him. If we deny Him before men, He will deny us before the Father, according to Matthew 10, 33. So you have to ask the real question, how does your Christian walk look? Are you engaged in spiritual warfare? Or are you just sitting on the waters of Babylon, just hoping it all passes you by? You see, we can't just get our fishing pole out and just hope maybe it'll just, I don't know, maybe go by someday and then, uh, oh, you know, I'll fall asleep and meet the Lord and all's good. I, I really don't have to get involved in this at all. And that's not calling us to the spiritual warfare. That's not engaged in this battle for the lives of men. You see, souls are being lost every single day. Your neighbor, your co-workers, whatever your spheres of influence, if you are not the watchman on the wall, giving them the truth of God's holy word, living it, breathing it, speaking it, being salt and light in this world, there may be people being lost under your watch right now. And God does not look lightly upon that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, he says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You see, if you are living for Jesus, you don't get to just skate by. You should expect to suffer hardship. You're like, this is not the message I thought I was going to hear today from you, John. But it's the real message. We need to get convicted. We got to get stirred up here. We need to chase after Jesus Christ with whatever urgency you may have found yourself in when you were pursuing Christ because you knew that he was the source of salvation. Where is that passion? 
It is time to get back to that conviction that you belong to another. You have been bought for a price, and it is time that you represent him as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You should expect to be persecuted for the sake of the one who called us to be a soldier. It is time to wake up sleepy church. We are in a spiritual battle. And did you know that, by the way, how difficult it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry? It's a daunting task. I mean, we got to take these raw recruits as pastors even, and, and we have to turn them into the best fighting force on the face of the earth. They're going to be equipped with the most powerful weapons in the universe against whom no effective weapons have ever been formed. And these men and women must be trained to battle, to prepare for the battlefield with every principality and power, no matter how ferocious, but then... We might get 50 minutes once a week to train them. And by the way, these soldiers may not even show up each week. And after all, because they're pretty busy with their personal lives. But without the Holy Spirit's involvement, this would be an impossible task. I mean, I was thumbing through an old army field manual the other day, and I I noticed some of the parallels between the physical warfare that our army trains for and spiritual warfare. I mean, you have to learn how to evaluate your targets develop a strategy for attack and assess damage that's done. And and that's just in a, on a physical level. And I believe that that also incorporates into a spiritual realm because every soldier in service to their country must learn to wage a warfare. So when I compare Christians to earthly soldiers, unfortunately, I see mostly soldiers who are pursuing worldly agendas and acting like they're a reservist. And they don't have their weapons sharp and skilled and honed, always able to give an answer for the hope that's in them. You know, there was a a sailor uh, sometime back, an individual I I respected him greatly. I mean, he spoke highly uh, about his service to our country, and he was quite the patriot. And he shared with me about the basic training that they went through in the Navy in World War II. He had to memorize the shapes and sounds of the enemy aircraft. They had to be able to identify an aircraft by their silhouettes and decibels so that the enemy would not be able to sneak up on them. I mean, talk about training to recognize the way your enemy works. I don't think that we train like that as Christians in the ways that the enemy comes against us. There was a a movie in 1986 uh, featuring Clint Eastwood. It was called Heartbreak Ridge. And there was a seasoned gunnery sergeant named Tom Gunny Highway. And as he's training his recruits, he stops and he pulls out an automatic rifle and he begins to shoot live ammunition over their heads. His recruits dive to the ground and Gunny Highway speaks these memorable words. He says, this is the AK-47 assault rifle, the preferred weapon of your enemy. It makes a distinctive sound when fired at you, so remember it. So in order to be acquainted with the enemy's weapons, you've got to be exposed to them. These weapons are being fired at us all the time. Satan is on the attack. How does he attack? Well, let me give you just a teaser here. We'll pick up again on this next week. But he seeks to deceive all mankind, and if possible, even the elect. How? Scriptures tell us, with great signs, wonders, false teachers, and yes, even a false gospel. As we read in Matthew 24, 2 Corinthians 4 and 11, even 2 Thessalonians 2, amongst many others. He blinds people with false religion, unbelief, entertainment, 
the illusion of substance, distractions, busyness, and fleshly gratifications, those who follow Christ are on his hit list. And listen, he wants to sift us. He wanted to sift Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, and he will attack everything around you, but he can only do what God will allow him to do for our strengthening. And I'm going to end there today because I want to entice you to listen in again next week because we have to be in constant prayer. We've got to be armored up and ready. We've got to know how our enemy works in and around our lives. Be prepared for it. Arise to the occasion each and every morning preparing for spiritual warfare. Cover your entire spheres, your family, your work. See your life as a ministry for the cause of Christ. That's the proper frame of mind that we should have as we arise in the morning, brothers and sisters. I hope you've been encouraged today. It's not an easy study. It's a convicting one indeed. If we can assist you in any way, if you want these sermon notes and you want to share them with friends and family alike, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.